Hey, everybody. It's your host, Felipe. You're listening to the Total Basis Podcast uh, on a special edition of the Total Basis Podcast as we have gotten the Hall of Fame results and we want to document and we want to get the people's reactions. And I did bring in a special guest with me as Sean is uh, out of this one, unfortunately, but you know, I called to the bullpen, right? Called to the bullpen and I summoned one Dan Butler. Dan, how are you doing this evening? Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for having me again. Um, so it's Fitty Constellation. Uh, I am not Sean, but my middle name is Sean. So oh, we, look at can that. Keep, we can keep the tie in there if that helps folks. Yeah, man. It's still I, in our sure, safe place. I'm sure Sean uh, would appreciate that for sure. So uh, <laughs> so uh, Dan uh, is a member of the Baseball Life Facebook group. Uh, for those who are listening to audio only or on YouTube, uh, Baseball Life is the Facebook group that we uh, do these episodes in along with the other Life Group podcasts. Uh, so feel free to follow us and, and uh, give us a listen uh, on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and any other uh, podcast format that's out there. But Dan was, uh, the reason I brought in Dan, and it was supposed to be a three-way episode, but unfortunately, Sean's schedule does not work out for, uh, uh, is not in sync with ours. So uh, so I hope Sean um, uh, is, uh, can join us on Sunday. I think he should be good to go for this Sunday. But right now, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame. And the reason Dan is here is because, not because he's a fellow Cubs fan, although he fits a nice looking hat there. Wait, that's, that's a, oh, that's the lookouts, outlook. right? It's a new outlook, yep. Nice. That was at the AA affiliate, I think. Uh, we used to be have the Dodgers. Last time I saw him play, they were the Dodgers. I don't know who they are now because they. Yeah, it's, it's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep um, up. But anyway, the reason Dan is here, if I if I don't get any more distracted, the reason Dan is here is because he was nice enough to uh, curate the this year's Baseball Life Hall of Fame ballot for everybody in the group to vote on. And the results were in. So for those who are mad that nobody got elected into the Hall of Fame in 2021, uh, Kurt Schilling actually got voted in by you, the Baseball Life members, because we give the people what they want here, Dan. He did get elected, inducted into the Baseball Life Hall of Fame. And uh, Dan, do you still have the results there that the people, how the people voted on that one? I do, actually. So let me, uh, I need to take a couple things off of here real quick. Sure, go ahead, man. Uh, okay. But yeah, in the meantime, uh, yeah. The, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Uh, nope. Can't, I can't share my screen. Oh, you can't? No, you've, you've disabled. Oh, I didn't realize that there was a save link. Oh, okay uh all participants all right try now but uh yeah kurt Schilling was the only one in the baseball life group who got inducted into our baseball life hall of fame which now i, I don't know how many people are included but uh, he joins company like babe ruth and uh i forgot who the other players were hold on let me see here ty cobb willie mays nolan ryan barry bonds barry bonds is in there but so is pete rose so people are going to be asking well what kind of hall of fame is this it was elected by you, the baseball life user. The people. <laughs> you, um, we are. We so, give the people what they want. Go ahead. So you should be able to see my screen up there now, I believe. Yeah, just make it a little bit bigger if you can. Yeah, I need to get that bigger. I'm not going to worry about the folks down at the bottom anyway. Yeah, they're not important. They're <laughs> not that important because what's next? We can talk about next Wisher, but um, we all know we love him. Uh, so you can kind of see here, just put this together, comparison of how uh, we all voted as compared to. Now we only had, I think we had 49 participants. Uh, as opposed to the, well, normally it's what, 408, 405, but there were 14 blank ballots this year, so there were like 390-some-odd voters <laughs> this year. But uh, what I find interesting, especially at the top, and maybe it's easier because they're at the top, but if you look at those vote totals at the top, they're all right in line for the most part with how the writers voted. Um, it seems that uh, uh, the writers didn't particularly care for Kurt Schilling. 
I think they probably took other things into consideration uh, when they didn't vote for him. Clearly the 14 blank ballots did, uh, but uh, Felipe forwarded something the other day before we started on Sunday uh, about the Hall of Fame voting that's uh, basically based on so based on your play on the field, integrity, character. So those are two things I thought were interesting. It's say integrity and character. Um, I suppose we can take those to mean whatever we want. I take those as integrity and character on the baseball field. So those are discussions folks can have for another day. We're going to talk about baseball here. Uh, but what I do find interesting, though, is that Bonds and Clemens are getting very close in, in our poll on the, on the baseball life side. Uh, and if we use, we can extrapolate that out for a year, there may be a good chance those two could jump in next year, especially if we can get a few more voters um, to uh, to kind of add those in. And, you know, Scott Rowland, same thing. He's right yeah. there at 50%. And I've got some information that, you know, as we go along, Felipe, if you want to share, I can share of the last three years of votes for those top four or five guys. And we can see some guys making some really big incremental jumps in votes on the actual votes. Yeah, um, if you have that information, go ahead and share it. But before you do, don't do it just yet. Uh, yes. I just want to point out that the, the actual quote, and this is from the actual uh, Hall of yes. Fame, uh, the Hall of Fame rules here. And this is the only rule they have for these voters, for these uh, baseball writers. Voting shall be based upon the player's record, playing ability, integrity, sportsmanship, character, and contributions to the team slash teams on which the player played. Uh, I mean... Yeah, there's playing ability, and then there's the other intangibles, right? The you know, be be an ambassador to the game, and and listen, I know you don't want to talk about it, and I, out of respect for you, we're not going to talk about it. But we all know the ugly elephant in the room: why Kurt Schilling is not in the Hall sure. of Fame. Well, I, what I mean by that is, you know, you want to necessarily get deep into it, but no, no, I mean I agree. It's but when he played, he really wasn't. Pardon my French, but the ass that he is now. <laughs> He, he just kind of stuck his nose to the grindstone. He went out there and he battled. And, and I don't know that anybody had outside of people who don't like other teams, players probably didn't have a, a huge negative opinion of the guy until like a lot of folks, he started opening his mouth after he, after he retired. And now he is where he is. And I'll tell you um, what, man, it, it, listen, I, a lot of players, they, they, they're mostly conservative. Let's just put it out on the, the table. Sure. You know, Chipper Jones once said something about what the, well, you should do for illegal aliens is just put crocodiles on the border and let them, and it really racist. I'm Mexican. And, and that really made me angry. Right. So, but he got in almost right. unanimously. It, it didn't stop him. First year. For, oh my God. It's so obvious. Kurt Schilling, on the other hand, I mean, at one point he was America's favorite pitcher. Now for a very long time with Kurt Schilling, there was a lot of talk about him not de not deserving it, especially when he first uh, was retired and, and, and just got into uh, the ballot. Uh, th there was arguments that he doesn't deserve it. He only won, what, 200 games? So let me let me just say spew out some stats here, some counting stats as the folks like, like, to, uh, like to spew out all the time. 206 wins when he retired there. Uh, only pitched 3,000 innings. Now, compared to his other contemporaries like Roger Clements, he was at 4,900 innings pitched. Greg Maddox, 5,000 innings pitch. Randy Johnson, 4,100 innings pitch. Uh, who's another guy? Kevin Brown, you know, 3,200 innings pitch. Kurt Schilling didn't pitch that many innings at that uh, uh, for a guy who's supposed to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, at least the numbers from 1980 to, 20, to 2020, the last 40 years, uh, would uh, show that, that there's a lot of reasons why many people did not think that Kurt Schilling did not deserve Hall of Fame consideration. That turned around when the analytics revolution came up right sure, sure and exactly. all of a sudden he's everybody's darling and even when even when he retired i mean he went to a boston red sox team 
that was also analytics driven at that time. And he became America's favorite pitcher. I remember at one point he was, I mean, he broke that curse. Well, first of all, he beat the Yankees in 2001. So that's like the most important thing in America. Well, that should, get him in. That should automatically get him in. <laughs> but number two, he won two championships uh, uh, for the Boston Red Sox. When people thought that it would never happen, he basically put that team on his back and, and led the way along with the, the, uh, the rest of that great Red Sox team. And he would have been a slam dunk. Yep. The problem here is that not only is he, you know, like I said, most players are conservative by nature, right? Even though they're union, they're conservative by nature. I'll, uh, you know, they're in the right tax bracket. I will give them that. I'm not here to judge them that way. This guy, though, this he's, guy takes it to a no, whole nother level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, a, he's way out there to the right. He's a QAnon guy. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. He is. He He's, he's a QAnon guy, and, and that's a little too far, I think, than, than even middle-of-the-road conservatives are like, wait a second, hold on. That guy's nuts. When, when the middle-of-the-road conservatives are saying that guy's nuts, there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> there's a problem, man. Yeah, and you saw that uh, in the last in this current election. You saw that after the, the debacle at the Capitol, which Kurt Schilling, I just saw a headline where he actually supports that. Like, you, you support treason, man. I mean, I took it as treason. I don't know how other people take it. But. Yeah, it's, you could probably take it a couple different ways. It, he certainly didn't denounce it like he should have. Let's just say that. That's all he had to do, man. You know, imagine, because he was at 71%. Uh, sorry, well, he was at 73% uh, on Sunday when you and I went, were trying to go on the right. air. 73%, at least according to the ballots that were already um, uh, in public. Correct. So he's not that far off. And he ends up with only 71.1% of the vote, which... Yeah, and I don't know. I don't think they allowed... I know a lot of folks, a lot of the writers were asking if they could retract their ballots and change their votes. I don't believe they allowed that. No, uh, a vote uh, a vote in is a vote in, they said. So, uh, oh, well for you. So Unless they went, to, unless, unless they were a Dominion voting machine and who knows, maybe it was two votes then. Not to delve off into politics, but... Uh, <laughs> still um, events. Anyway, but I, just, ahead, I, I find ahead. it i just find it fascinating though that uh yeah he's right there and he's got one more year on the ballot and you and i were talking beforehand that he's basically said although i don't think he can necessarily do this is i'm taking myself out of consideration next year and i'll wait for the players to vote me in um i think that's going to be the fascinating part well, is, my, my question is how good is he with jerry reinsdorf if he's good with jerry reinsdorf he'll get him in well, that's that's a good point. I, I think it's really interesting. This is kind of a kind of a tangent here, but for Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens, and we'll throw Sosa in, although he doesn't really have much of a chance. But yeah. Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens next year is their tenth year on the ballot. Yeah, um, and they're all they're, they're all very close, especially Schilling. If they do not get voted in next year, it's going to be very interesting after that to see what the players what the uh, veterans committee think what do the other players think about that and i think if they vote all three of them in relatively quick after that then i think moving forward the writers got to get in line and just start voting for them because i mean it really to me the guys that played the game with these guys they're the ones that really matter when it comes to the voting especially with these veterans um the other part that's going to be interesting and i'm curious what you think felipe is when they do get to the veterans committee, we'll use Schilling as the example, um, or we'll use, I'm sorry, Bonds and Clemens, uh, who have been accused of steroids. How are these veterans going to vote for him knowing that some of these guys were doing things a lot worse than steroids? Well, it, it's definitely not going to be quick. I know Henry made, made a good point here. They're basically, well, for, let's start with Schilling first. They're, Henry says they're basically giving him, and I guess they, meaning the writers, are giving him a year to STFU, 
you know, and you all know what that should mean, right? To, but to basically shut up Schilling and don't trip over yourself and they'll reward him for the final year of, in the ballot, the final qualification for the ballot. Also, uh, he was happy to see that Scott Rowland and Andrew Jones uh, got an increase in voting. So I just wanted to point that out. That those are all very good valid points there uh, by Henry, who has a podcast on Monday nights called Dong City with Vince Bertoletti. Yep. So I'm, that's my plug for them for the night. I'm done with them. Okay, so the question <laughs> was, how would the Veterans Committee uh, do this? I don't think it's as, it's as quick and dry as they think it would be. I mean, you think about who's in the committee. That's why I ask, how good is Jerry Reinsworth with any of these guys? Because it seems like Jerry Reinsworth has a lot of pull. This is the guy who got Harold Baines into the Hall of Fame. Right. When no one was asking for Harold Baines to right. get into the Hall of Fame. And, and, the, and, and Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, he'll get a bunch of his buddies together. And so it just depends, you know, it's, it's, uh, Marat, it's not a Maratic, it's not, a, uh, when you get to the Veterans Committee, when you get to the Veterans Committee, it doesn't become, uh, it's not based on merit is what I'm trying to say. It, it's meritocracy. Becomes, thank you so much. <laughs> it's uh it, it, cronyism takes place it absolutely is cronyism place. when harold baines got elected there was at least two or three people that were connected to harold baines including jerry reinsdorf that helped vote him into the hall of fame uh the uh the veterans committee so it just depends who's on the panel right uh right. so then the other thing is if, if you got a bunch of ex-owners or current owners who were um in baseball during this time did they benefit because if they benefited from all of this why, why wouldn't you scratch someone's back who made you a lot of money? Sure. If, if it's ex-managers and ex-teammates, why wouldn't you vote for the guy that helped you win championships like in, the, in, in the case of Roger Clemens? Or why wouldn't you vote for the guy who made you lots of money by proxy, by association like, for the Giants if you're Barry Bonds? So it just depends, right? But I don't think it's as quick as, 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 uh, quick as, as Kurt Schilling wants to believe it's going to be because – even the veterans committee is going to be like, Oh man, he, he's, he's saying a lot of crazy things, man. We need to, we can't have this guy doing an election speech uh, in the summer at, at Cooperstown with his nonsense. No right. way. He needs to. And this is the only, the only saving grace then. And I'll, and I'll bounce it back to you. The only saving grace to all of this is that Kurt Schilling was taught a lesson here. It's like, no, nah, bro, you, you can't just say the nonsense that you want, you know, promote, the stuff that you promote that is uh, that divides the nation into three, four, five different little segments, then it's not good for the country or whatever, however you want to take it. So you need to be taught a lesson. And that lesson is you were a slam dunk coming. I thought he was going to be a slam dunk coming into this year. I thought he would be the yep. only one. Absolutely. And he didn't because like you mentioned, he couldn't shut up. He couldn't shut up. So, so yeah, I think uh, if he thinks the Veterans Committee is going to be a saving grace, I think he's in for a rude awakening. That's just my opinion. Uh, Dan, what about you? You think the Veterans Committee is going to uh, give, do him a favor there? You know, I don't. I, you make a good. You make a really good point. I think is is what uh, who's going to be on the committee and how are they going to look at this? Because you're right. If it's people who benefited from it, and let's let's be honest. We'll slide down to bonds, um, and I guess a bigger scope of McGuire and, and so if they were closer to, if they were at 60 some odd percent, I'd say they have a shot because for a couple of years, McGuire and Sosa right or wrong with how they did it. They kind of saved baseball, right? Yeah. They, yeah. They, 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 baseball was the forefront that couple of summers, but we talk about bonds. The other part of that, and, and this might come up with the players. Cause I don't, we obviously don't know players. We don't know what their attitudes are, but he was a really abrasive guy, not a really approachable, friendly guy. Now, I don't know. There's probably going to be folks out there who are, who are Giants and Pirates fans who are going to know a lot better. What kind of a teammate was he? Did he rub a lot of guys the wrong way? Did he have a lot of friends? No, he, um, he was not, a that jerk. really matters. Did they respect him as a player? 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so those are some some interesting things. But I think the big thing, like you said, is and and I think you uh, um, went back to to what Henry said as well that uh, um, you got a year, just lay low, <laughs> be quiet, don't be stupid. And I think we I think we all have seen over the last few years, don't be stupid and be quiet are two things that that he struggles with. I mean, he 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 contributes to Breitbart or whatever the hell that that yeah. that publications call. I'm ashamed to mention it on, on my podcast, but that's what he does. He gets paid yeah. to talk and to spew this nonsense. So it's not going to stop. He's not going to shut up. And he's going to keep pushing for this, like you mentioned, this QAnon nonsense that has been debunked over and over and over again. And people still hold on to it for some reason. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. I think uh, to figure out who's going to be on that uh, uh, Veterans Committee next year and kind of see, not next year, I guess that'd be 22 or 23, yeah. and see what, uh, who might be on there. Like you said, if you, if you got the right people on there who can do some lobbying for you. Um, it, see, it This is just from an outside looking in. It seems like Kurt Schilling, it just seems, just perception, seems like he was a better teammate than Boz was. I have absolutely zero data to base that on yeah. outside of me just watching baseball for the last 25 years. And it really depends who you ask, because if you ask Jeff Kent, I don't know if he gives you a good answer for Barry Bonds, but if you ask Kirk Reeder, who actually did go on, on television one time for ESPN and defended Barry Bonds like as if he did nothing wrong at all. So it really just depends. So Kurt Schilling, said, it, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, is, is it, I don't know if that's a good teammate or that's, that doesn't necessarily, to me, doesn't mean Barry Bonds is a good teammate. It just means <laughs> that was a guy defending his teammate. He was being a good teammate. And it's, true, it's, true. you know, there's... Everybody's got their opinions on it. I think, because I've been around a little bit longer than a lot of folks in that group, been watching Barry Bonds since he was a rookie. Um, this cat was a Hall of Famer before he started using, or before he allegedly started using steroids. This guy yeah. was going to be a Hall of Famer. I don't understand uh, why he went that route. I don't understand why some of these guys did. A lot of these guys did, but he was probably headed that way already. Or at least he was going to be a borderline guy, and maybe he thought, well, these steroids are going to put me over the top. And he was kind of right, except it all kind of blew up in everybody's face. If you don't mind, Felipe, I'd like to just, you know, you know we talked about our votes. I just want to go over these real quick again. But, yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, I think the top three here, I, I find it fascinating that even though we have a much smaller sample size, our voting came in real, real close to what the writers voted. Um, same thing with Scott Rowland. Um, that actually kind of surprises me a little bit there. But then the only other ones that came in fairly close were Sheffield, Vizquel, and Ramirez. Read an interesting thing on Vizquel. Um, he was starting to increase in votes, not dramatically. Uh, but then this came out in November, December, about the spousal abuse. Yeah. And uh, uh, it probably tamped down a lot of support that he would have had this year. And who knows what that's going to look like going forward. But um you mentioned Jeff Kent. A lot of Jeff Kent fans here, uh, obviously. He's almost at 60%, but let me show. These are the writers. Whoops, wrong way. Went the wrong way. There we go. Oh. So just to kind of show the progression and, and who might have some hope, and just so that we're aware, next year, the two guys that – the two top guys are probably going to be A-Rod and Ortiz. Now we're going to be right back into this Bonds and Clemens thing. Are they going to get voted in? Uh, yeah. Because now, you know, A Rod, of course, 
he's got a different circumstance than Ortiz, but it's going to be really interesting. So the votes aren't going to be able to be spread out as much. I look at a guy and I brought this up the last time you and I spoke, this guy right here, man, Billy Wagner. Yeah. Um, he's making pretty good incremental jumps the last couple of years, which tells me in a couple of years, he'll be in good, in good shape. But, you know, if you look at his numbers and compare them to a guy, you know, this to me, hall of fame is like a trigonometry uh, proof, right? It's, if it's all these if then statements. Oh my God. Well, hey, if, I mean, think about it. If Trevor Hoffman is in, yeah, then Billy Wagner should be in. I mean, here, look, like, whoops, I copy this down here. It's, I don't know if it's, that might be too small. Yeah, make it a little but bit bigger if you can. If you look at these numbers here, I mean, ERA, we all know that's not necessarily the, the, the be all end all. Now, Wagner's up on top here. Like, these are Billy Wagner's numbers. Let's get down to the stuff that you can measure objectively. Mm. Um, his ERA plus, his FIP is better, his WHIP is better, strikeouts per nine is better, yeah. strikeouts per walk is better. Um, I'm sorry, that I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, I have these two backwards. Hoffman was in the top ten four times, and Wagner was twice. Not that that matters much, but again, just to kind of compare. Get rid of those; those are confusing. Yeah. But when you look at the overall numbers, I mean, you know, tell me one of those guys belongs and the other guy doesn't. Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think the big one is uh, this perception that Billy Wagner. Can you go back to the other one? Yeah, yeah. To Wagner spreadsheet. Yeah. There's a perception that is that well, he didn't pitch over a thousand games like Hoffman did, or he didn't uh, pitch enough innings like Hoffman did. He didn't even get over a thousand innings. So why should we? reward someone who couldn't get to a thousand innings and it's always these random benchmarks that these hall of fame voters want these players to achieve before they even consider them but uh, yeah listen you also got to realize it's a bunch of uh, baseball writers who don't take the time like like you and i do with fan graphs or baseball reference or really dig deep and crunch these numbers right it's guys like well, I, I, I was a baseball beat writer for many years, and I don't know, I, I test shows that he wasn't really that well, and he's a horrible interview anyway, so I'm, I'm not going to vote for that guy. So Exactly. It, yeah, so. I, I just think that he, he to me, that's, he's the guy that, I, I don't want to say he's a no-brainer, but when you compare him to Trevor Hoffman, yeah, he's, he's pretty close. He's pretty close. Now, he's a 46, so logic tells me based on the last couple of years and based on who's on the ballot next year, he could easily be a 60% plus guy next year. Same with Todd Helton. I mean, you know, um, let's, Todd let's, Helton's uh, gone up almost 30 points in just two years. And let me uh, just spew out the names for the 2022 eligibles. I'm actually on the page right now. I was looking for something else. But while I'm here, the 2022 eligibles, right? Because it's not. It's only going to get harder from here. Carl Crawford, Prince Fielder. I don't know if you might take some votes away from Todd Helton. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Howard. Oh boy. Todd Helton better get those votes in real quick. Cause now yeah. he has, he has some competition. Tim Lincecum, you know, you're old when Tim Lincecum now qualifies for the hall of fame induction. Uh, Joe Nathan, David Ortiz. Oh boy. Yeah. Todd Helton, rest in peace. But I don't know if, if these PED users are going to get punished like this much. Uh, I don't like David Ortiz's chances at this point. Right. Nope. Jonathan Papelbon. Well, hey, another all of Kurt Schilling's uh, ex-teammates are here, right? They're, they're gonna make the Hall of Fame before before Kurt Schilling does. So that would be really funny. Uh, Jake Peavy, AJ Pierzynski, who nobody likes. AJ. Oh Pierzynski. dear God, no! But he is a media darling now. He's in the media. He's in the broadcast business. Some some beat writer must have gotten that gotten him that job, so enough to like him or whatever. 
Only if Michael Barrett presents him. <laughs> Alex Rodriguez, who uh, last time I saw him, he was at the uh, at the White House. No, at the Capitol, uh, at the Joe Biden induction, because everything's politics and everything's sports, right? Jimmy Rollins and Mark Teixeira. That's a lot of first baseman, man. Todd Helton has an uphill battle, uh, an uphill, a real hell of a steep climb to make here if he's going to continue to project. Now, obviously, baseball life loves Todd Helton, as you can see. Yep. But yep. yeah, the, the writers now have a quite a conundrum, though, because now they got to split these votes among four, uh, four or five other first basemen that are uh, in the ballot for next season. Good luck to them. Well, but, you know, how many of these guys, though, you know, you get a lot of these writers that I don't vote for guys their first time on the ballot because apparently they're going to get better in years two, three and four. I don't know. Jesus Christ. Um, Christ. I, so I, I don't you think first baseman, if there's four or five first basemen, you think that's going to take votes away from. Well, because I'm thinking they're going to look at his body of work and they're going to see this guy belongs. And there's a lot of good players next year, but I don't even know if there's a lot of really good players, but there's some good, decent players there. And I don't know if, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if, the, if some of those guys are going to steal votes. Yeah, I suppose uh, Big Poppy could, um, but I'm not, I don't know if I'd be worried about Ryan Howard stealing votes from Todd Helton. Uh, so, like I said, I'm on the Hall of Fame page, right? And we talked about Kurt Schilling whining and crying that he wants a recount, you know, just like his uh, hero president wants a recount. Well, he, this is what he wants to do, right? He wants to go into the Veterans Committee, right? So they have this thing now at the Hall of Fame called the Eras Committees. It's formally known as the Veterans Committee. But basically, they, there's a revolving door of eras, right? And what is on the docket for December of 2021 for the class of 2022? They're going to go back to the golden days era. Last I checked, I don't think Kurt Schilling qualifies for that era. He did not pitch through 1950, from 1950 through 1969. So he's going to, even if he wanted to not be on the ballot next year, because he thinks the Veterans Committee is just going to magically put him in the Hall of Fame if he just asked for it. He's out of luck because they're not voting for his era this, <laughs> for next year. They're voting for the 1950s and 60s players. So um, tough titty there for you, man. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so, all let me ask you a question. I, I, cause I have a conversation. I have this conversation with my buddies all the time is, okay. um, I'm a big fan of taking the writers out of this altogether or making maybe their collective votes be 50% because I get it. They mm. cover the game. They're out there. Maybe even broadcasters who see this stuff, but I think I, I haven't quite decided if I would say the current players or current players in the hall of fame i am all for hall of fame players making up maybe 50 or 60 percent of the vote and then the writers making up the 40 or 50 percent because to me if, if i'm in a hall of fame if dan butler's in the hall of fame i don't want anybody else out there telling me who's going to join me i want if i think felipe i played against felipe in the 80s <laughs> <laughs> to me, Felipe was one of the best players I played against. I'm going to vote for him to make the Hall of Fame, not because, like you said, he's a bad interviewer or there's all these weird perceptions out there of a guy. I want a guy who played against him. You know, I want the Fergie Jenkins and the Bruce Suters and the John Smoltzes yeah. telling me if Todd Helton belongs in the Hall of Fame, not Bernie Nicholas from St. Louis. Well, the problem here is that what happens to a lot of these players when they retire Remember, these guys are active guys, man. A lot, of, a lot of the stuff that I hear from ex-players is that, well, I'm no longer playing, so I really don't care about the game. These guys are not spectators. This is true. They're, they're players. They're players for a reason. It's in their yeah. name. They're played. The players want to play. 
to quote R. Kelly, there's another controversial figure. <laughs> <laughs> players want to play, ballers want to ball, and sometimes they don't want to. Point. No, that's, that's that's a good point. That's a really good point. And they stop paying attention. But I mean, how how would you feel after 20, 15 years, whatever the case might be? You, you all of a sudden you're told that you're no longer good enough to play the game that you've been playing since you were five, six years old. Right. And to make that transition to, I mean, some of these players, you hear this cliche all the time. Some of these players can't even get into coaching let alone just being a fan and watching the right. modern game. Or uh, it, that's why the veterans committee is such a, such a niche thing because they have to select certain people who are more than willing to do this and not, you know, have grudges against anybody because, and it's always cronyism, right? That's why Jerry Rice made sure to bring in uh, when Harold Baines was uh, up for induction. Yeah. Made sure to, uh, yeah it, it's, uh, it's not by merit. It's by who did who a favor here. And, yeah, you know what? That, and that's a really good point. You're right. Some yeah. of these guys, they, they still know the game and they know it by hearing the names and they'll watch several games, but they wouldn't be as much as we, a lot of times we, people talk about the media and the writers, those guys are watching it and looking at this stuff every single day. They're traveling with the team in most cases where the world's normal. So, yeah. I mean, I, that, that's a really good point. Um, it just, it, 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 I don't know. I, I've always had a problem with the writers deciding who goes into the hall of fame. Um, mostly because you got these these idiots out there who say I'm not voting for player mm-hmm. A his first year and then I'll start voting for him afterwards. Why? Uh, everybody it accomplishes absolutely nothing. Everybody has a method, right, to voting here. And when I, I I think you were there um, live when we did this with Melvin and Sean, which by the way Sean is watching us. Hey Sean, um, what we we did this? I I I had my own way of voting for the 10 players that I wanted to vote for. Like if I were a voter, I would make sure I would vote for 10 people. I, I take advantage Absolutely. of that maximum. That's yep. what I would do. And I make sure that I do my homework. I go on Fangrass, you know, check out how these guys compare to the rest of the contemporaries. And if I do have a beef with people, you know, accused of using PEDs or, or beating up women or whatever the case might be, then I still vote for somebody, right? I'm not, right. not going to vote for nobody. But it isn't within the right to not do it. That's why they have that privilege and we don't. But I mean, everybody has a different method. When Melvin told me what his method was, his was completely different than mine. Same thing with Sean. Same thing with everybody else who participated. So, I mean, I get that. But the frustration is, like, if you want to make a point and you want to say, well, I only want to vote for the clean guys. I mean, there's plenty of guys here who, uh, for the the best of our knowledge, we're not using, like, the Scott Rollins and the Todd Helton of the world or maybe even the Billy Wagners if you want to. Or right, the Andrew right. Jones, who we know for a fact, there's no way in hell he was using. Andrew Jones was not used. There's no way. Like everything that you see out of Andrew Jones dictates that. Yeah, maybe he uh, he would have been better off if he used, because then he would be in the Hall of Fame, right? Right. But right. he didn't use. He got fat and he got bloated, and now he's on the outside looking in. So yeah, a lot, it's happened to a lot of us, my friend. It happens to a lot of us as we get older. Yeah, so, but you and I are not superstar athletes as much as we like to pretend we are. I mean, this is. Uh, a- I, I don't even <laughs> pretend it. I don't even pretend it. <laughs> uh, but no, that's a really good point though. and that's exactly how I approached it too I just looked at I'm voting for 10 guys and um, um, you take, you're right you you're still we're still human beings we are they are still human beings and you're gonna vote with your conscience and you know a lot of these guys will make their ballots public and a lot of these guys vote you know they, they have Clemens and bonds on there and then they they feel that they have to justify by saying well let's look at the era let's look where they are um, you know, one article or one tweet that I read was, you know, Bud Selig was, that was a steroid era and mm-hmm. they weren't testing and they weren't specifically banned. 
at least the language was murky at best, and they weren't testing. Does that make it wrong? I mean, it I, was, I don't know. It don't was know. illegal. Uh, federally, from a federal standpoint, federal government standpoint, federal it was government illegal. said it, but the game itself, but they didn't test for it. So they didn't test for it, but they still, I mean, they're using illegal substances. Like these steroids are supposed to be for medical. We use. assume they were. We assume they were. They <laughs> probably were. And that's kind of my point, though, is, yeah. is, you know, without testing, without knowing for certain until some of these guys, you know, a, a little bit later. Um, yeah, personal feelings have to come in. And, and I can appreciate these guys that vote for Bonds and Clemens. I, I've always been a Roger Clemens fan, always yeah. and forever. I think, uh, you know, outside of Maddox, he's probably the best right-handed pitcher I ever saw pitch. Yeah. Um, um, but I can see why somebody wouldn't want him in there. I, I voted for the guy. I, I've always been a Clemens fan, always. And, and the other thing, I, I made a comment about this somewhere in the baseball group uh, over at Baseball Life. Like, if, if these writers want to make a point about not voting for guys who didn't use, there's a couple of guys on this list who – there's like very little to no inclinations that they were using PEDs. And that's a guy, those, these are pitchers like Mark Burley and Tim Hudson. If you really want to make a point and be on your high horse then yeah. reward the guys who were never caught. They actually played in an era where they're testing all the time. And they actually, they peaked and they dipped just like normal human beings would without the assistance of any substances. So put your money where your mouth is, put your practice, what you preach. And vote for guys who and reward the guys who did it the so-called right way. There it well, is, Mark Burley so, Hudson. But they can't. You know what's it. interesting? And I don't, maybe I've missed a story over the years, but a guy who might fall into that category is a young Mister Kurt Schilling. Yeah, uh, but hey, he played in that era, right? Guilty until you prove it innocent, right? So, well, uh, you're right. You're right. Yep, you're right. But yeah, you're right. That, that, that's that's the way to do it. If you've got if you've got these 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 beliefs, and hey, more power to it. You're right. You got the Rollins, the Heltons, the Wagners, Jones. Uh, no, not Manny, of course. I mean, um, look, I mean, you're old enough to remember the 1993 Phillies, right? And and who's on yes. that team? Dave Hollins, Darren Dalton, Lenny Dykstra. Some some of those guys were built, man. They they didn't even look like baseball um, players. Well, Lenny Dykstra clearly uh, he he had nick- more issues than steroids. I think his nickname was Needles at one point. Needles, right? It, it was Nails. Close enough, man. <laughs> Nails, Needles it starts with the letter yeah, N. Yeah. And, and no, you're right. That was. Yeah. You know, that mid nineties, that whole nineties era was, uh, but they don't test for it. There's just a lot of assumption like the piazzas of the world and who knows what's in that Mitchell report, but the piazzas and the pudges and, and some of these guys who like pudge shows up the next year, the Yachty Molina has been kind of the same way. All of a sudden yeah. he shows up to training camp the next year and he's 50 pounds lighter, 30 pounds lighter than he was last year, but you're I mean- not using if you ever want, I mean, there was, a, there was one point in my life where um, I looked at baseball reference and I looked up Julio Franco. I don't know why. I just went ahead and did it. Julio Franco, the picture that they use of him was with the White Sox. And his head is bulbous. Like he looks like a flower, just like, it, like or like an egg head, literally like, a, like his shape, yeah. like an egg or like a, he has a big ball for a head. And I'm looking at that like, yeah, he definitely used. I mean, there's a reason why he played until he was like 50 years old, right? And there's no way. That's a guy who seemed to is, is kind of, as a little side note, but he seemed as kind of slid under the radar for accusations of using, mostly because he did not pull up, put up those gigantic numbers. He was at one point one of the best players of his era. And then he kind of dipped because he yep. got old. And then all of a sudden he 
found the fountain of youth. Oh, because he works out so hard or he hits those weights really hard. And I'm pretty sure there was other things he was hitting hard, but the, mostly the balls because of uh, help, so to speak. But uh, no, man, I, I, I just remember that baseball. I can never forget that that baseball reference picture. It, it, it didn't look right. And it's the same, uh, you know, circumstantial evidence that they use on Barry Bonds. Look at his head. It's yeah. humongous, they say. I didn't realize steroids make your head grow, but apparently it does. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the telltale signs, the acne on the back. Apparently, that's another one, too, that... that uh, so makes your, makes your, makes your, uh, your head swell, and it makes other things shrink. So I guess and it, other things shrink, yeah. It has to be, I guess it's a, it's a zero-sum thing. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because you're taking all that stuff, you're adding testosterone to your level. Well, what does the body do? Well, shit, there's too much testosterone here. We need to make more estrogen to kind of even things right. up because that's what the body's all about. I guess it counts for the big head. I don't know. I, but I didn't realize, but Barry Bonds, it's quite obvious that, I mean, that head got, the cranium got enormous. I mean, if you ever want to just, if, if I think of, if baseball, Major League Baseball ever wanted to just un, unleash the vault, right? Their 1990s vault. And you just look at these players and you just look at them, just look at them on the television and, and, and just, just stare at them, right? There, there's something not right about their bodies. And, it, and, and I used to think it was just a, a certain select team, certain select players, but it seems like it's everybody. Everybody right. has massive arms. Everybody has giant heads. Everybody has like tight wearing, you know, shirts and pants and uh, not to get sexual. Sorry, guys, I don't mean to arouse everybody out there. <laughs> but uh, no, man, it, it doesn't look right. I mean, people, I mean, if you even listening to the broadcast, the, the, the way that they would broadcast these games, it was, they weren't broadcasting baseball games. They were broadcasting superhero movies, which is ironic because we're in an era of the superhero movie that just dominates cinema as well. So everything's new again. Anyway, I, uh, go ahead. I think that's a, that's a good point though. And, you know, I, I think of, I'm a big college basketball fan. Case. I'm a, I'm a Boilermaker, so uh, I, I watch them all the time. And you see these kids come in as, as 18-year-old freshmen, and when they if they stay four years, those guys get bigger in four years and stronger. That happens because their bodies are still kind of developing. Sammy Sosa turns 26 years old, or whatever he was when he got traded to the Cubs, and he's the skinny rail. Still a good player. The guy had skills. He had a lot of skills. But then all of a sudden, two, three years later, 96, 97, 98, He's coming in all buff, looking like uh, uh, you know Charles Atlas. Do you remember uh, in the in the spring of '98? Do you remember listening to the radio or or reading newspapers what his nickname was coming into the 1998 season? I don't know that I do remember. They were calling him Sammy Sofa because that's how big he was. I know Harry called him Sammy Suitser a couple times. Oh, that's because he was drunk. But, uh, <laughs> he was oh drunk. no, that was no, that was I think that was Ted Kennedy who did that. No, it was, it was Harry. I, Harry oh, called really? him Suter a couple times. They called him Sammy Sofa. I did not. I don't know that I knew that. Yeah, and, and they were saying that, oh, yeah, he is in the best shape of his life. He's really massive and big. And I didn't believe it because it's all radio, right? I got to see it to believe it. And sure enough, right. yeah. And he hit 66 home runs that season. And Yeah, so th that's it. You know, if you're telling me you didn't, I guess I will believe you. But I will believe you with a huge doubt in the back of my mind. Um I don't know. It's it's uh, so you're right. Those guys that played then, um, do we just accept it moving forward and say that's just kind of how it was? Because they were still, mm -hmm. you know, we use the general term all. Everybody were using steroids back in was using steroids back in the '90s. If you were still the best of those folks using, you were still the best in the game at the time. Yeah, and that's, everybody. Yeah. I mean, it was still kind of 
although it's a weird level playing field, it was still a relatively level playing field. And that's the uh, new argument, because before, if you would have had this conversation back in 2001, 2002, 2003, it's an open and shut case. No, don't bring them in. Screw those right. guys. They cheated. And things change, right? 20 years later, now we're talking, everybody has that thought. Well, everybody cheated, so I guess it's okay. But here we are. Not a single one of those guys got into the Hall of Fame. No, no, you're oh, right. Oh, poor guys. Oh, pobrecitos. You know, and anyway, go so what's your feeling? I'm just curious, what's your personal feeling on that? Would you feel... Would you be pissed if a guy like Bonds and Clemens got in, or, or do you not care one way or the other? Uh, I I used to be very passionate about it. Like, don't let those guys in. Screw those guys. I mean, but now, I mean, I, I'm. my thing is, you already got guys in the Hall of Fame who cheated. The difference is they didn't get caught. I mean, all the guys who got into the Hall of Fame that from this era, they used. It wasn't as public, but there was rumblings. Oh, yeah, those guys were using for sure. Um, you mentioned a few of them already, like Ivan Rodriguez, Jeff Bagwell. I remember hearing stories about him oh, using. Oh gosh, yes. Uh, wait, is, is is Jeff Bagwell in the Hall of Fame? I can't remember now. I always get confused. I know Craig Biggio is in the Hall of Fame, and I think he was accused of using too, but he's in there. Piazza. Uh, Piazza. Oh God, Piazza. That was the most. Oh my God, that was the most transparent one, at least in my viewpoint, because there was actually documentation that he did use, and he gets elected anyway. So, think Tommy Lasorda had anything to do with that? Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. listen, man, t- Mike Piazza, what was he, like a 64th round pick or some crap like yeah, that? Yeah, he was way down there, yeah, yeah. And we're just supposed to believe through hard work and garbage. It, it can happen. Garbage. It, it can happen. I mean, no, it, I don't it, think so. it can happen. The Tom now, I don't know that you go from a 64th round pick to the Hall of Fame. Do you go from a 64th round pick to maybe making a couple of all-star teams and being a good player? Sure. To being one of the all-time best, I mean, he was good. He was so damn good, but but did he know. have help? So I'm curious I mean, if. Uh, and he also has a giant head too. I'm looking at his baseball reference page. That's a humongous so who head. Who claims man. him? The who claims him? The Dodgers or the Mets? Oh uh, well, I forget. Then that's the other thing that needs to go away. Like, which hat is he gonna wear into the Hall of Fame? I think Greg, was it Greg Maddox who just decided? I just don't, I don't want to pick anybody. So just give me take a, a hat, right? I think uh, didn't yeah, I think it was Maddox who didn't want to have a hat because. I mean, in all honesty, he should have been brave. I mean, as much as <laughs> I'm as, as big of a Cub fan as I am, he really we got rid of him before he really did much of his greatness, and then we got him back at the end. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I've been fine with the Braves hat. What do you do with a guy like a Clemens if he ever got in? By the way, sixty-second uh, round pick, Mike Piazza. He went. Uh, he was drafted in the same round as guys like Al Pacosa, Mike Piazza, Jim Greenlee. Juan Price, Jerry Summers, Phil Mendelson, and Jesse Cross. Mike Piazza is the only one who has a who has a Major League Baseball statistics on his Baseball Reference page. So there you go. Don't. So what you're saying is that what you're saying is his career is suspect. Oh, everybody's suspect. Everybody's guilty until proven innocent. Man, at this point, so I, I mean, I, I, you're right. It I, is, and even now when we're testing, I think that's probably going to be the case. And that's and, and that's the legacy of that era, right? Is that you created this cloud of doubt and how anybody could take anybody at, fa- at any of these players at face value and not be suspect at all. It's a really crappy way to look at things, but you know, the way as a fan, I don't want to get fooled again, man. I was fooled once. You're not going to fool me again. You know, and that's a really good point too, is, is you're guilty by association. You played at the same time as McGuire and Sosa and Bonds and, and, and Clemens and these guys. So you got a guy like a Billy Wagner. You got a guy like a Todd Heltness. Scott Rowland seems to have, you know, those guys, are they going to be tattooed with that, 
you know, you were never brought up in the conversations, but you, like you just said, you played during that time. So I don't think it's a huge leap for me, Joe fan to think you used and, and there's been nothing proven. I don't even think those guys specifically Helton and Roland have been even been hinted as having used. No. And uh, Roland had a slew of injuries, but again, that could be, you know, PED related, right? Because that's the thing, at least uh, here locally, I remember hearing Dan Bernstein. I don't know. You know who Dan Bernstein is? Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. He used, not a fan? Nope. (laughs) Very good for me. His argument for Ken Griffey Jr. using was that the way he would have these soft tissue injuries, especially the one where his hamstring just blew out of its socket when he was in Cincinnati. Uh, And he accounted that for PED use. And, you know, I'm a wrestling fan, too. And the only other way, the only other time I've ever seen that happen to uh, in sports is with wrestlers who use steroids and PEDs. It happened to Vince McMahon and it happened to uh, Big Kevin Nash, a seven foot wrestler. Wait, are you in the wrestling group? Yes or no? Remind me. I was, but I quit watching it, actually. I quit watching it about four or five years ago. Just got Vince is ruining it. That's all I'll say. Vince is ruining the, the, the company. Hey, well, Corey Richmond is in the podcast. He's in the comments. He's listening. He has a, the Workshoot podcast on Thursday night. So uh, if you don't like uh, the WWE stuff, the, the thing I love about their podcast is they tackle all the promotions, not just WWE. So all check right. them out. And there's that plug for the wrestling podcast. Uh, so that means I got two more shows to go. I will just sprinkle them in there somehow. But uh, what were we? Oh, so yeah, wrestlers. That's the only time I ever, I've ever heard that analogy was with wrestlers because they were heavy using and there's not there wasn't much policing going on back then. And the way that they would injure it, yeah, Triple H got injured with a hamstring or, or a quad injury. His was quad, yeah, his was quad. Yeah, it, it blew out of its socket. Why? Because he's a steroid user. Come on, man. It's a simple science. Yeah, well, anyway, and you know, that, I, that's the thing, right? I don't know that that's a fair claim, though, because, you know, the wrestlers <laughs> are doing something, they're doing things a lot different than baseball players are doing. Yeah. It, it doesn't take much to blow your hamstring if you plant and move the wrong way or, you know, you're not going to pull your hamstring or blow a quad by getting body slammed. I get that, but I, I don't. I've never really equated to. I I I see your point. Is is because I've seen it. I've seen it before where they've talked about steroids and how it could be a detriment to your body as opposed to because it's supposed to help you recover faster. Yeah. As oh, opposed, yeah. but a lot of people seem to think it could. And you just alluded to that fact is it could actually hurt you. So, but but I really like your point of. You know, you played in the era, you've not got the stink on you, whether yeah. you did it or not. And, and I'm pretty ambivalent at this point. If they're in, they're in. If they're not, they're not. I don't care. I'm not That's... voting for them because I'd rather vote for other guys who probably did not use. And again, I use the word probably. That's the key word because that's yeah. the assumption is that they didn't use. But uh, it, well, the other argument that you can have is maybe the P, the, maybe they stopped using steroids or other testosterone-based uh, hormonal therapies. And somewhere along the line, they just switched drugs on us, right? I mean, I think the drug of choice for a long time was Adderall, which is a stimulant for people with ADHD, I believe. Chris Davis is one of those guys. They took that away from him and suddenly he can't see the ball anymore. Um, But uh, these guys are always looking to see, to get an advantage. I mean, and we could talk about drug use in baseball, but. Well, I was just going to say, what do we do? Do we go back to the seventies? We talk about Pete Rose and, you know, Mike Schmidt and, and Uh these guys that played in the seventies, they weren't doing steroids. They were doing. Uh, greenies a lot of greenies and and, uh, reds and all that other stuff they were doing and uh you know god bless his soul hank aaron right he just uh passed away uh recently but uh he was part of that era too man and part of the way you you accumulate stats is just by showing up every day 
And yep. the more you show up to work every day, the more games you get to play. Um, Can I mention one thing about Hank Aaron? Yeah, go ahead. You don't mind. Yeah. So the one fascinating stat for him, I mean, the guy's got just a, a as, as Clark Kellogg calls him, he's a stat cheat stuffer. Um, <laughs> the one stat for me that just blows me away is he's number one in total bases. Second place is 760 some odd behind him. That's two phenomenal MVP seasons or two and a half over two and a quarter just to catch him. I mean, that's how good this guy was. Mm-hmm. You have to have two. I mean, I look at Mike, Mike Trout, our current reference for best player, his highest total for total bases was 339. So he, you have two of those seasons. You're still behind by about 60. That's, I mean, that's, if nothing else impresses you about Hank Aaron, I don't under, I don't get it. You should be impressed by the fact that he's that far ahead on total bases because that's not just homers because he didn't hit, he hit a lot, but he didn't, you know, he didn't hit five years where he hit 70. He was 30, 40 homers, right? He was a 30 home run guy every year. He had a lot of doubles. He had a lot of triples. He had a lot of singles. So that, as I started looking at some of those numbers, I'm like, you know what? Maybe he was the best player ever. Yeah, but then you got Willie Mays, and you got Willie Mays um, has always been know. my number one forever. Yeah, I think that's everybody's number one. You still got people who defend Babe Ruth, uh, but that uh, anyway. The point is that maybe it's not that who's a steroid user and a PED user, or, or which era is what era, but right. it's just like how are the drugs changing? How good are the drugs of that era? I mean, right. Willie Mays, I'm reading right now the, the Chicago Tribune story. He allegedly kept the stimulant called Red Juice, and again amphetamine era right that's the that's the era that willie mays played in and that's the era that jim bouton released his book ball four where he laid it out on the line like yeah we all there was a jar of uh, of amphetamines we call them greenies we all took them before the game to cure hangovers and we were able to play all all the time not miss see, that, see to me that seems like that would be more uh we should be looking at that era more than steroids yeah because I mean, you know what steroids just makes you bigger and it and it <laughs> helps you recover faster but yeah those amphetamines that gave you energy. Yeah. I mean, Pete Rose, right? Pete would have a much larger, and that's when you start looking at these pitchers in the 60s and 70s. I mean, these guys are throwing 35, 40 starts. They're throwing 350 innings. Really? Well, well because uh, they had nothing but well, Doc Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> it was on LSD and threw a no hitter. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, I always have this theory about that time of era, the 50s and 60s. If you ever look at those ballparks, and you ever look at the baseball pitcher numbers? It's like those guys took full advantage of the fact that they were playing in massive ballparks. Yes, right. Uh, I, I think I, I took a look at the like the fifties and sixties, and Whitey Ford just dominates the strikeout totals. Right. But everybody else is striking out four guys per nine innings and walking four guys per nine innings. And I, I thought, oh, that's so peculiar. Why is it why is it okay to walk people? Why aren't people like losing their hair that they're starting pitcher? is walking all these guys yet they're completing games like left and right. Right. And I, and I have to account for the fact that they all played. Well, I mean, they all had amphetamine help, but they all played in large ass ballparks. They did like polo so, grounds. And I mean, polo grounds is one. Look at, look at, you know, jacking one out of there to right field. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the corners are, 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 are in, but if you hit anything to center field, and I think a lot of these pitchers, they, they were pitched to contact pitchers. So here, here you go, big boy, try to hit that one out of the ballpark. And they just flew out to center field. And so. you still had some guys, but you had the Frank Robinsons and the Aarons and uh, uh, the Ostremskis and guys like that in the 60s, kind of way off topic here, but 
those guys still put up really good numbers. But the point, yeah, I mean, we're off topic, but the point is like, you kind of have to question everything now. You're like, what's real, what's not? Is, right. Is it how much of a coincidence is it that the so-called golden era of baseball, like the best era of baseball, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, at least that's what everybody tells me, how I much of so. that was because of amphetamine use or other yep. drug use? So it's just something to, to uh, discuss, but that's not the point of this podcast, right? That, we kind of went off a tangent. You have other spreadsheets you want to show here, Dan Butler, or is there anything else that you wanted to? Uh, no, really, that was, um, I mean, it was, I, I've got one that was going to kind of compare you know, the argument for shilling, and let me make this one bigger. I can make this one quite a bit bigger. This was just kind of the argument for him. And, and, and like I said in the past, I'm a, I use baseball reference a lot. And I know a lot of, of folks in the page like use fan graphs. And I think it's six of one half dozen of the other. I, I think they all have really good numbers. But when I look at what shilling did compared to the average Hall of Famer, which is that first column, yep. it's a no brainer. I mean, it's an absolute no brainer. You know, you compare and then compare them on the far right over here to, like I said before, th this is, this guy is probably more of the third rail than Schilling is because people look at him and they like, how is that guy in the Hall of Fame? And that's Jack Morris, right? That is Jack Morris. I'm sorry. And, and just to kind of go over these categories. These are straight from baseball references. So the blacking category, that's when the pitcher or the player led the league in any particular, any category, um, which obviously goes to dominance in my mind. The gray ink is when he was in the league's top 10, which isn't necessarily dominance in my mind, but that's excellence. Anytime you can finish in the top 10. Hall of Fame monitor, um, it's based on season, what your season number or what your uh, each season numbers were as far as you got points for being over X number of homers and doubles and strikeouts and walks, whatever the categories are. Same thing for the Hall of Fame standard. That's more what your career numbers were like. So these are the numbers for the average Hall of Famers. When you look at Schilling, he's there. But when you look at Jack Morris, he's actually there. He's not there. He didn't lead the league in a lot of things. And his career numbers weren't necessarily stellar. But if you look, he was in the top 10 in a lot of stuff. Interesting. You know, which makes it, which, which again is excellent. This is the one I find interesting here. We've seen him never led the league in anything. But boy, he was, he was right there in everything else. He was in the top 10. So when I started looking at his numbers, I realized, he was a heck of a lot better than I remember him. I knew he, I always knew he was good. He was always a good, solid player. But when you start looking at his numbers and compare him to his contemporaries, um, Roy Halladay, that's the guy when he got voted in, I thought the guy was good, had a couple good postseasons, but was he Hall of Fame? Yeah, he absolutely was. When you compare him to his contemporaries on this list, he absolutely, no doubt, was a Hall of Famer. And I remember I did a I did a thing for my buddy uh, over at Sportfolio, uh, Mario Margola's uh, uh, page over there. And when Roy Halladay died, I did a little bit of a of a tribute to him. Uh, it's a, a statistical tribute to him, right? Nothing too fancy, just uh, you know what, you know, rest in peace. These are the numbers, right? And a lot of times for Roy Halladay, he failed in the rate stats, right? But where he dominated, even though it didn't seem like he did, but where he really dominated and really came to light here was the counting stats. He right. had more complete games. He had more innings pitched than anybody else. He was like constantly in the top five of all the counting stats throughout the, his uh, career. Again, yeah. comparing him to his other contemporaries, right? So, so yeah, there is something to be said about you know just uh, being above and uh, above and beyond your your peers of that time though. The time that when did counting when did counting stats become bad? Um, 
You know what I mean? I mean, I to know, me, man. counting stats are good because a lot of times it stems from if you have these quote unquote counting stats, it's because you're playing a lot. And what do they say? The best ability a player can have is availability. So if you're playing every day or pitching every fourth or fifth day. Or as Eric Mangini used to say, uh, what was it? Uh, durability always beats ability, but that's Eric Mangini. So I don't know if you want to go with that route. <laughs> well, but, but, but again, there's, I think there's some truth to that. So um, if you play 20 years and you start 35 games a year, your counting stats are going to be high and they should be. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't understand when counting stats, I think some of that has to probably do with the analytics. Analytics yeah. are the big thing now. And we, so we kind of lose track of the counting stats at the end of the day, you know, you hit 700 homers. I don't care what your K rate was. I don't care what your walk rate was. I don't care what any fly ball or ground ball rate was. You hit 700 homers. That's something significant. And uh, here's uh, here's one for you, Lou Brock. I think that's one example where like people are like, "Oh man, th- is that why he's in the Hall of Fame? He had over three thousand hits." Yeah, counting stats, right? Yeah. Uh, also stole nine hundred thirty-eight stolen bases. But that's another argument. That's always that pisses me off. Is so we 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 admire Luke Brock for stealing nine hundred thirty-eight stolen bases in very low run scoring environments, right? Right. But we right. can't do the same with his contemporaries like Amory Wills who stole more than 500 stolen bases if memory serves me correctly but he's never going to get into the hall of fame because he didn't do much of anything else despite the fact that you know he was a very integral important player during his era where runs were very hard to come by his speed he when in okay so i have this thing up and running right from 1947 until 1980 maury wills placed fourth four in stolen bases so was that total I believe so. I mean, from yeah, I think he retired well before 1980, right? Yeah, but what was his total? What was his total stolen bases? Was he in the he hit 600? Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll double check that for you, man. Not a good question, actually. Uh, no, no, five five eighty six. So yeah. Okay, so he was right there. He was right there, fourth overall. Other guys ahead of him, Bert Campanaris, who's never going to see those. Never even the conversation. But he stole 638 stolen bases. But again, what's wrong with count? And, and I That's tell you what, what he was. I don't get it. He was Ben Zobris before Ben Zobris was around. <laughs> guys like Burke Campanaris yeah. and Cesar Tovar. I mean, I'm dating myself, but those guys were Ben Zobris before he ever showed up at all. So I think, although he'll never make the Hall of Fame, I think Burke Campanaris, guy was a good player. Uh, so top five from 1947 to 1980. Lou Brock, Burke Campanaris, Joe Morgan, Maury Wills, Luis Aparicio. So, yeah. So, Three of those guys are in. So, so why are those guys and the other and the other guys are not? So something's missing. Something. It's, now, it's the inconsistency that kills me here, Dan. You know, Joe Morgan though. Um, Joe Morgan had a heck of a lot going for him outside of just stolen base. I mean, the guy oh, oh yeah, hit. obviously. <laughs> the power guy can play some defense. Obviously, Lou Brock. Yeah. Though I think Lou Brock's a really good point. I mean, you know, if you get three thousand hits, is that is that the number? Is that automatic? Just like is six hundred home runs automatic? If a pitcher ever wins 300 games again, will that be an automatic? Well, again, it just depends on the era, right? Because at this rate, I don't think we're ever going to see another 300 win pitchers. Not especially if it's the Dodgers doing things what they're doing. They're just revolutionizing the way starting pitchers are utilized, right? Right, right. So you got to count for that. I mean, Roy Halladay didn't. I don't think he got to 300 wins if memory serves me correctly. Oh gosh, no, 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 no. But but I mean, I, that's kind of what I'm in. saying is when, when you got a guy like Lou Brock, who if you took away, if he only had 2,650 hits in his career, but all his other numbers were the same. Would he be in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I don't know, man. It just depends. I mean, 
I could see a point. I could see a valid uh, argument for him, you know, taking away the county stats and just going with uh, what his contributions were in low, low run scoring environments. Remember, this guy pitched in the high mound era. And let's see, how many runs did he score? Oh, oh he scored 1,610 runs uh, in a low run scoring environment, right? So where does that rank him? Oh, that ranks him. Um, uh, top 10 uh, from 1947 okay. to 1980. Lou Brock was the eighth highest uh, amount of runs. And that's scored. significant because you're right in the sixties and in first half of the seventies, it's not like, it's not like now where they were scoring six and seven runs a game. So now here's where people have a be- uh, issue. Cause now you got the fancy war metrics, right? Wins above replacement that, uh, that it, this metric has helped uh, certain players get reconsidered for the hall of fame. Kurt Schilling included once war became a thing. I noticed a shift and, uh, and in uh, uh, this thought process for Kurt Schilling to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But it also has uh, kind of poo-pooed on, on former players who many believe, oh, well, you know, his war is so low. Why is he in the Hall of Fame? So here it is, man. Lou Brock, according to Fangraphs, 43.2 wins above replacement. For his career, yeah. That's very low. Okay. Yeah, very. Bert Campanaris, 44.7. I'll let you digest that for a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. I, that's why – well, part of that's because it was, like you said, it was a low-run scoring environment. He didn't drive in a lot of runs. But he stole um, over 600 so, stolen bases, just like Luke Brock. Luke Brock and Campanera stole well over uh, – well, not well over, but Burke Campanera stole over 600 stolen bases. Luke Brock, obviously, better at 938 stolen bases. Yet somehow, Luke Brock gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, and Burke Campanera is just an afterthought. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. That's why – I don't necessarily, I understand the purpose of war. You kind of have to compare, but, but I think, I think we're going to start seeing at some point backing off of some of these analytics. Well, I mean, it I, almost I, gets too far. My argument is, well, okay, let's go with the counting stats. And if I were to tell you, well, Burke Campanaris probably deserves to be in the hall of fame because he stole over 600 stolen bases. I get left out. I, I get left out of the building. Nobody wants yeah. to see Burke Campanaris in the hall of fame. I would agree because that's really his only Again, we'll reference counting stats. That's really his only counting stat that you can probably make a case. Yeah. I mean, counting stats are so important. Here's a counting stat for you. He stole over 600 stolen bases in a but, low runs. You know, Lou Brock, though, I guess you could make the argument Lou Brock really only got two counting stats. Well, no, he's got runs because he, so he's got three. He's got yeah. runs. He's top 10 runs. He's um, got 3,000 hits and he's got 900 stolen bases. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so, now maybe we can start making an argument for a guy like that. So, he's in already, but my issue is that okay, now you're talking about okay, some counting stats are okay, other counting right. stats are not okay. Well, he needs to hit these many counting stats before we even consider him. When you have you know other figures, other analytics, so to speak, so uh, metrics that account for all of that, and I think that's where uh, the advantage comes with using those numbers. If you're able to use a combination of both, I think you're kosher, I think you're good to sure, go. Sure, if, if, if put it this way, uh, Dan. If all these baseball writers did the amount of research that, that well, I, I will use myself as an example that I like to utilize, especially with the tools I have in front of me, yep. I think we would be all more appreciative of, of what they're trying to do and what they are all about. Sure, I would but agree. We know a lot of these guys don't do any of that, right? No, just, and they, they and, you know, and again, it goes back to what you had said earlier, right? Everybody kind of has their, these writers and even those of us who voted in this little poll here, we kind of have our own biases. What's yep. important, you know? Is it important that Roger Clemens was linked to the steroid use and, and the shots and the syringes? Well, I I voted for him, so apparently I didn't think so. <laughs> but I didn't vote for Bond, so how do you square that? Um, so 
when you're thinking about guys like Campanaris and a Brock is, okay, the counting stats, how many, what do I consider important? Uh, stolen bases are important. Um, runs are important. Hits are important. So getting on base is important. He didn't walk a lot, but he got on base with hits. And when he got on base, he made it count. He, it was like you referenced, it's a low scoring era, but he got on, they got him over and they got him in because he, he was a threat. You know, everything was a double for him. Every and, walk and every single turned into a double. And let's have some fun here. Uh, Bert Campanaris, and from this era, the what we call the integration era, right? The 1940, well, of course, we're in the integration era now, uh, depending on who you ask. But it starts in 1947 because Jackie Robinson integrated baseball, right? Right. We only went out to 1980 because, I don't know, I, I like a nice round number there. Plus, we're using, <laughs> I, I was, as I was telling Dan on Sunday, I use, I'm using the 1980 through 2020 to evaluate Kurt Schilling on the pitching side. So on the hitting side, 1947 to 1980, right? Burke Campanaris is 31st overall in terms of runs scored. And we're just going to have some fun here. Not, not to be taken too seriously, but guys that Burke Campanaris leads in runs scored for this era of baseball, Reggie Jackson, Ron Santo, Orlando Cepeda, Ted Williams, Rod Carew, Dick Allen, Maury Wells, who we just mentioned. He scored more runs than those guys from that from 1947 until 1980. So there you go. Take that for what it's worth right there. Wow. <laughs> fun. So a little bit of fun with uh, – Some with, of those guys played past 1980. So, yeah, but, but, of course. Yeah, that's why I said guy, take but, it for what it's worth. The one, the one that intrigued me, though, is I think a popular guy in our group is Dick Allen. Yeah, and he just passed away. Man, a lot of baseball players. Uh, I tell you, that's a, that's a show in and of itself. Yeah, Wait, that and, and guys who probably should be in the Hall of Fame and who aren't. But um, so you know, when you start looking at that, then you're gonna you're gonna make me look up Burt Campanaris when we get off this thing, and oh. I'm gonna look at that. I'm gonna say, Dad, damn it, this guy was better than I thought he was. Yeah, and then there's another guy that shows up on that list, and I believe that was. Uh, let me double check and make sure I got the yeah Reggie Smith. Who, if you just look at his era of baseball, right? Because we did the same thing for Roy Halladay. And that's why we all, everybody as a society decided that, yes, Roy Halladay does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because yes. he was so damn good for his, for his time. Yep. Reggie Smith's going to be one of those guys that will never get the, the respect that he deserves. But for the time that he was playing, he was pretty damn good. I mean, he was way ahead of his time, I think. Just looking at the numbers. I never saw him play, obviously, because I'm not that old. Right. But if you look at his numbers and what he did, uh, and, and again, he also played in a very low run scoring environment, but he somehow was able to produce and be productive. Uh, he's one of those very underappreciative uh, players and uh, who get forgotten in history. But again, that's what the, the beauty of these analytics is that, A, they kind of shine a light on a guy like Reggie Smith. Reggie Smith, uh, from 1947 to 1980, according to Wins Above Replacement, the Fangraphs metric that, uh, that they use over there, Reggie Smith is top 25 in war, ahead of guys like uh, Dick Gallen and Billy Williams and Mike Schmidt, Richie Ashburn, Jackie Robinson, so on and so forth. So... So there, so so you take the good with the bad, right? You take, you know, with counting stats and the advanced metrics, you try to find a way to combine them. Nice, happy medium. And like I said, the good thing about some of these metrics, it, it, it does shed a light on player performance, even from these bygone eras. So that's the way I see right, it. Right, right. No, no, I, you, you, and you know, that's something we talk about in a group a lot is you can't compare Babe Ruth to Reggie Jackson. And yeah, you really can't, but to your point, which I think you elucidated very well is, that's one advantage to these advanced metrics is if we have the data, we can kind of now compare them. It, it won't be exact because the philosophies were different too. Um, you know, right now we're clearly in an era of get the ball in the air. 
Babe Ruth uh, didn't think yeah. that. He just went up there. He was so much better than everybody else. He just went up there, swung the bat, and the thing went 400 feet every time he hit the ball. Although I um, think he also played in the short porch for a very long time in Yankee Stadium. I yeah. have to see the configurations, but, you know, he's left-handed. That helps. Ball, so that helps. Uh, but I mean, the, then you look, again, to the 50s and the 60s, um, mm-hmm. low run scoring. Yeah. Miles were higher. You know, they, they, they focused on what a lot of folks – like what they want the game to go back to hitting and run bunting based station to station uh scoring you know winning every game four to two or three to one one nothing (laughs) one to nothing and both pitchers pitching a nine inning shutout until the last hitter hits a homer and Fergie jenkins versus bob gisson for the umpteen time of the season right right and and that's (laughs) kind of what people want the game to go at so it's tough to compare that to Kyle Hendricks pitching five innings every five days. Sometimes four under Joe Madden, which is well, uh, frustrating. You take out game seven, it was five. Well, I mean, it, it, okay, so everybody wants that. Uh, Theo Epstein, right? He just, he just got hired by Major League. And I think we'll end it right here. I didn't realize we were already uh, close to the hour here. Uh, but uh, Theo Epstein made a point about we need more athleticism. We need to showcase the, the, these wonderful athletes in our game. And by doing that, we need to make more contact. Uh, uh, display their fielding expertise and uh, their abilities and all this and that and the other. And I'm thinking to myself, no, I mean, you're part of the reason why these guys aren't doing that is because you led a revolution that encouraged, like you mentioned, for everybody to hit the ball in the air and hit it as hard as you can because home runs are better than manufacturing runs, especially what I just mentioned. If you're going to be playing in these small ass ballparks, there is no incentive to just hit the ball where they ain't or hit the ball uh, on, on a rope or hit the ball on the ground and utilize your speed. There's just no incentive. Why? Because the, the, you get rewarded for hitting home runs. What did Greg Maddox say? Manage- you're not going to get paid. You're, you're not, not going get to paid. get paid if you don't hit home runs. Yeah. Uh, it, what did uh, Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox say? Chick stick and long ball, man. I mean, it, it, it's just the I think it was Kevin, wasn't it Kevin Costner? Uh, oh, geez. Was it? I, I, I think uh, it was Kevin Costner and Bull Durham, wasn't it? I never watched Bull Durham before, so I'll have to. Okay. Uh, I, I, I've seen it once. I'm not a big fan of it, but uh, I think it's blasphemy if you haven't seen it because it's <laughs> but, apparently one of the top baseball movies. I, no. I thought it was just okay. Uh, a League of Their Own and Major League is better, so that's my opinion. Yep, I agree. Uh, there I is, agree. by the way, there is talks uh, among us admins that we might do a little bit of a of a tournament style best baseball movie ever. It's in the works. We'll see how it works out. I'm waiting for. It, I'm, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be mentioning it. It's supposed to be top secret, but we'll see what the powers that be uh, have in store for all of us at the Baseball Life baseball group, uh, Facebook group. Very good. But that'd be fun. That'd be really fun. But uh, the point was, uh, no, where I got that quote was, uh, it was a Nike commercial. Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was a Nike commercial. That's where I got it from. And uh, Chicks dig the long ball. And what, 25 years later, it's the truth. Maybe the chicks don't dig the long ball, but general I, managers and executives do. I do. I'm yeah. not a chick and I dig it. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, that's the, the draw. The good thing about analytics is, is from my opinion, right. It's this, it's shedding light where there is no talent, uh, uh, right. where people were not looking for talent. Right. It Correct. Uh, really makes those diamonds in the rough really gleam and glow and, 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 and shine brightest. Right. Things that you might have, uh, well, you know, what's his name? Theo Epstein again, because of analytics, that's how he discovered Kyle Schwarber, even though, yeah he was not Kyle Schroeder was not on Theo Epstein's radar to draft, but the analytics and the metrics that he was utilizing to uh, gauge those amateur players kept saying, Hey, Kyle Schroeder, check him out. Epstein eventually 
uh, caved in and said, okay, fine, I'll check out Kyle Schwarber. He ends up drafting him and falls in love with the guy to the point where he can't even trade him. Yeah, more. Right. So, yeah, to the detriment of the team. I'm not a, I, I, I like the guy. He's a good guy. Ian Hamp has him on his, talks to him on his podcast. He's a great teammate. He says he's yeah. exactly how you would think he is. Good. I just never really thought he was a great hitter. And to finish up my point, so that's a good thing, right? About the analytics revolution. The bad thing is that it, it's getting to the point where it's kind of watering down the sport. And I think, uh, well, I've heard many people who are my, who I would consider my analytics heroes, my advanced metrics heroes have kind of already thrown the red flag, especially in basketball, where if you ch- check out any game, I mean, it's great that it's a more open run and gun style, but it, it does, it's getting to the point where it seems like it's either a three-pointer or bust. Right. You know, no. low post and mid-range games are frowned upon. Same thing in football where it's become a passing league. Uh, same thing. I don't know about hockey. Well, yeah, hockey is not wide open, but that's because they took away the blue line, uh, the stupid ass two-line passing, whatever that was. Right. But they eventually took that out, thank God. But uh, and then baseball, it's home run or bust. Or if you're a pitcher, strikeout or bust. If you don't strike right. out enough guys, like how Hendricks does, you're a bum. So, it, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's really uh, that's the drawback. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. I mean, what the future holds, unless you have a crazy ass prediction you want to make for us before I let you go for the night, Dan. Uh, uh, I let, think let me frame that, this uh... properly. Let me frame this properly for you. In 2031, what is going to be the crazy new thing that in baseball, I guess? Go ahead. Open-ended. Well, I don't know if it's that crazy, but obviously we're going to have electronic umps. Um, (laughs) We will have electronic umps. I think we're going to see um, on the bases as well. I think you're going to see sensors in the baseball. Oh, wow. Uh, You're going to – that way you're going to – you're going to have sensors just about everywhere. So now – that bang, bang, play at first. You don't have to worry about it. All we have to do is look at the sensors and see which one went off first. Did mm. he touch the base first? Did the ball hit the glove first? Um, one I would love to see, and I don't even think this is possible, put lasers, right, at the end of the bats or some sort of sensor at the end of the bat. All these stupid check swings where Len Casper says, oh, yeah, he went. He didn't go. So, <laughs> and then put the other sensors on the foul poles. If the sensor goes off, you swung. If it didn't, you didn't swing. That's interesting. So I, I think you're going to yeah. see a lot of technology take this thing over the next 20 years. Are you going years. to see, and this is like, this is a crazy idea that I had a long time ago, especially during the Houston Astros and a long time ago, meaning like a year ago, especially <laughs> like the Houston Astros uh, cheating scandal, right? Where you're going to see pretty soon, uh, they're going to go ahead and allow these guys to have a, uh, like they do in football, where they have a guy in the, sky, in the press box and calling the plays. And hey, what do you see up there, uh, Jimmy? Uh, well, I'm seeing this formation and this is the play we should be running. I think they're going to, my crazy idea is that they're going to have, they're going to allow it for to be an intelligence team to track what pitches are coming. And they're going to make what the Astros did legal. And the best part about this, Dan, is they're going to have sponsorships Microsoft, Oracle, TikTok. I don't know about TikTok, but <laughs> but they're going to get sponsored and Major League Baseball is, is going to make a killing off the sponsorship and they're going to encourage it and it's going to be part of the technology meets baseball, meets modern times, meets the 21st century uh, angle and it's going to be okay again. And the Astros are going to see are going to be seen as revolutionaries. And so you're saying that the batter will have like an earbud, and the guy up top's going to say, or guy on center field's going to say, "There's a fastball coming." Fastball's coming, and there's going to be buzzer, or 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 maybe they're going to just stick with the clanking noises, or like a whistle, or I don't know. 
but uh, hey, whatever the Astros are doing, it obviously, if you according to some worked. people, it worked pretty damn well for them. So yeah, well, I mean, it worked, and they didn't, you know, until Mike Fire spoke, they, they wouldn't have got caught probably if he wouldn't have spoke. No, probably not. I mean, it's, it's a you know, baseball players are 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 a hell of a they're they're a, they're a jerky bunch, right? They're very loyal to each other, so. Uh, but that no man that's that's uh, i'm i'm really glad we had this conversation I, I, it was supposed to just be about kurt Schilling and not and, and who didn't make the hall of fame and listen man we we i would prefer if someone made the hall of fame so we could talk about these hall of fame right, you know, right. players and celebrate their careers and and not uh, also kind of take us away from all this nonsense that's been going on in the world uh, especially in in baseball terms a lot of our baseball heroes are dying every day and they're all, it's oh, only gonna get worse geez. It's only going to get worse. Uh, who was I listening to this morning? Um, I forgot who it was, but yeah, a lot of these guys from that golden era, I mean, we just mentioned it, right? That's the golden era of baseball. They're getting up there in age. COVID is a, is a you know what. So I see the number accelerating, unfortunately. So, uh, and that's well, a- and you know, as Cub fans, we're talking about these guys that are, that are passing away, unfortunately, all these greats. I mean, you got a guy like Fergie, who's still around. Yeah, you know, He's in his mid-70s. Billy Williams. Yeah, he's still around. You know, and, and he's, what, 82. So, I mean, I'm bracing myself for that. We've already lost, you know, Ernie Banks and Sano and uh, some of these guys. And um, that's – especially Mike. I'm a, like I said, I'm a little bit older. I actually got to see – I mean, I think I saw Billy Williams at the very end of his career. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm talking like he was 40 – how old was he when he played for the A's? 40 – it was 1976. I mean – I was 11 years old in 1976. That tells you. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, so so I, I remember watching him play against the Sox when he played with the A's. I, I didn't. I don't. I don't remember seeing him play for the Cubs, but I do remember him playing for the Sox and um, or against the Sox. So that's going to start getting tough when some of these guys not just are dying, but they're just getting older. Yeah, and uh, again, COVID's around. It seems like yep. uh, I think that's part of the big reason um, that a lot of these guys are dying uh, in droves at these Hall of Famers are, are because uh, COVID's just taking them one after another. I, I, at least that's my theory. I, I haven't really checked, but and a lot well, of the times they think was eighty-two. Uh, but you know this whole story. Well, oh, he took the COVID shot a couple of weeks ago, and all of a sudden he's dead. So there's that correlation. Plus, so these families are not gonna, you know, privacy purposes, right? But I don't know. It just seems like with that in mind. With these players dying, it seems like there's a correlation, but who knows at this point? Maybe it's, it's just a coincidence. Uh, but it, it it makes for a, a, an already murky world to see your baseball heroes. That especially in my, I mean, you live to see some of these guys. I've been reading about these guys since I was a little boy, man. I, and they're just this. It, I mean, when reading about these guys, it's it's as if I was there watching them. Uh, well, yeah, and and you know, um, you know now like guys like Dick Allen, I didn't. And I'll bring up another name. It's, he's a Sox player. One of my dad's favorite players, Bill Melton, Dick Allen, those guys from the mid-70s Sox. My dad was a Sox fan, so we went to a lot of Sox games. That's why I really started to really love baseball, was actually going to Sox games in Old Sox Park. Um, but I, my dad, and he was a big baseball fan. That's how I got involved with baseball is he would always talk about the guys like Melton and Aaron and all the old guys, all the old Sox, Aparicio and Nellie Fox, guys from the 50s and 60s that he grew up watching to play because he got to hop on the train. He grew up on the south side. He'd hop on a train. You know, back in those days where probably maybe your grandparents or your parents would say, you know, we hopped on a train, paid a nickel or whatever, went up to Sox Park and they either watched through the knot holes or yeah. crawled under the fence or over the fence to watch games. Um, so he used to talk about all these guys. 
So although I just watched a lot of these guys at the very ends of their career, it was like you just said, it's like you watched them your whole life because you read a lot of stories. I heard my dad talk about these guys. I heard my grandpa talk about a lot of these guys for the Cubs, um, you know, Sano and Banks and, and Billy Williams, the, the three big guys and um, Fergie Jenkins and those sorts of guys. So yeah, it gets tough when, when these guys who you quote unquote knew um, are passing away and it's going to yeah. get tougher because these guys, they're just not getting any younger. I mean, how old is Willie Mays for crying out loud? I think he's next, man. I think he's next. I mean, he's last I saw him, he was in a wheelchair, I think, or I, I could be imagining things, but yeah, he's. Uh, no, I think he was. I mean, but he's, yeah. he's got to be eight. Well, Billy Williams is 82. Uh, let's see. Willie Mays is 89. He's going to be 90 in May. Jesus. Well, we'll see. In the meantime, you know, uh, baseball's right around the corner. Uh, you know, it was good talking to you, Dan. It was, uh, I never... Uh, well, I appreciate a... you having me on. I know we got yeah. off on some other topics, so thanks for indulging that. Oh, man. I, if it were up to me, I would have, a, a, you know, the Fantasy Baseball Podcast with Sean and, and talk about modern current times. And I would also have a, a historical... I'm a big history uh, person. I'm a huge I... history guy. Oh, are you in my... Are you in the uh, World History X uh, Facebook yeah, group? Yeah, I mean, oh, I'm okay. talking... I should say history of baseball. Oh yeah, sorry. History in general, that. but like old. I'm I'm a big fan of the 50s and 60s. But yeah, I am in that group as well. Oh okay, just to double check. Yeah, because you know you you went to Purdue, right? Is that what the thing is? So you wouldn't like history like that, you know, because you're a boilermaker, right? <laughs> hey, uh, go ahead. A lot of guys that went to that school. <laughs> I will just throw this out there since we're talking history real quick. This isn't baseball related, but I did go to a college that uh, the, the the first and the last man to walk on the moon. Went to my college. Oh, look at that. Look at that. And, Neil, Arm- Neil Armstrong and Gene Cernan. Oh, that's a cool fact. Uh, also, uh, Drew Brees went to Purdue as well. Drew Brees, uh, Rick Mount, but he didn't do much. Uh, Orville uh, Redenbacher was a professor. Kyle Orton. <laughs> he fumbled the ball in 2004 and cost us a chance to go to the whatever it was at the time, BCS. We were ranked number five at the time. Wow. Wisconsin. Wisconsin ran it back for a touchdown. That was a game. Oh, that sucks for you guys. Hey, yeah, Joe, it does. Joe it Tiller, sucks. man. Joe Tiller, very underrated coach over there. Right. Not for us. <laughs> wasn't he the coach? Not, not for those of us that lived through all the crappy coaches we've had. He is absolute God. They should name the entire university after him. That's what I was saying. I, I thought about that, you know, because I, I knew I was going to talk to you, and I thought to myself, you know, that the Purdue hasn't been uh, relevant since Joe Tiller retired. Mm-mm. That's correct. Yeah, that's interesting. Anyway, uh, let's finish up. Uh, be sure to check out all the other podcasts I've mentioned. Dong City. That's Monday night, uh, Tuesday. The, well, this is Tuesday. If you're, if you're listening on audio only, we're recording on a Tuesday night, and we're live on a Tuesday night right after on the heels of the wonderful football podcast over at the Football Life Pod, Football Life Facebook group, uh, the Audible with Matt Bushnell and Randy Hammond, uh, as they're going to be breaking down the Super Bowl very soon. Um, who else? Uh, tomorrow's a step back. Uh, uh, we're assuming that the guys, Jacob and Leon, are going to do some sort of uh, tribute to Kobe Bryant. That this this is the, the one-year anniversary of his death. Um, and very tragically, he passed away, uh, him and his daughter. Uh, who else? Uh, uh, you saw Corey Richmond, who joined us today. on the. Uh, he has a wrestling podcast on Thursdays. And Sunday mornings, bright and early for some of us. It's the Total Basis Podcast. We'll be back Sunday. Sean should be back on Sunday. We're going to be talking about uh, that. We're going to do a little bit, uh, have some fun uh, previewing these teams for the 2021 season. Check us out on Sunday morning. Talk some baseball with us. There's no football to keep you distracted, guys. You can focus your attention on us on Sunday and talk some baseball. For Dan Butler, I am Felipe. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you soon.
Hey guys, thanks, Felipe. Uh, thank you, man.